Do you find that it's difficult to stay satisfied with anything for very long? There seems to be something within all of us that says there's more to life than what we're currently experiencing that makes us dissatisfied with what we already have. And so what we tend to do is set out to find what will satisfy this longing within us. Now, some seek to satisfy this longing through relationships. They, they believe or they hope that if they could just find the right boyfriend or girlfriend, the right husband or wife, then this longing would be finally and fully satisfied. Others try to satisfy this longing and this desire through pleasure. If they could just find that one ultimate good time, then this longing would be finally and fully satisfied. Others try to satisfy this longing through wealth and possessions. If they could get one more raise, this one perfect job, or that one boat, computer, house, television, or car, then, then this longing would be finally and fully satisfied. And really, there are any number of other things that people use to try to, fi- try to satisfy this longing. But regardless of the route that we take, we end up with the same results. There is a measure of satisfaction for a limited time, and then the dissatisfaction returns. And we begin to look once again for something that will satisfy the longing in our soul. C.S. Lewis, the author of the Chronicles of Narnia, he wrote about this, and he said, Creatures are not born with desires unless the satisfaction for those desires exists. A baby feels hunger. Well, there is such a thing as food. A duckling wants to swim. Well, there is such a thing as water. If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. If none of my earthly pleasures satisfy it, that does not prove that the universe is a fraud. Probably, earthly pleasures were never meant to satisfy it but only to arouse it, to suggest the real thing. In our message today, we are going to find out what the real thing is that will finally and fully satisfy the longing within us. Open your Bible to Psalm chapter 23. I believe that's page 423 in your pew Bibles. We are going to be spend an extended period of time in Psalm 23. Um, when you find that, I'm going to ask you to stand to honor the reading of God's Word. What I'm going to do today is I'm going to read all of the psalm, and then I'll come back to the part that we're going to focus on today. Psalm 23 says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me besides the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Verse 1, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Title of the message today is, I Shall Not Want. Let's pray. Our Father, You are great and awesome and worthy of our praise and worthy of our devotion. Lord, You you can do in us 
and through us and for us what nothing on this earth can. You are our hope. You are what we are meant to desire. You are what we need more than anything else. Father, today as we study this idea of not wanting, help us, Father, to learn from your word what we need to learn. Today, let it be living and active. Let it cut us where we need cutting. Let it strengthen us where we need strengthening. Let it convict us where we need convicting. Let it encourage us where we need encouraging. Father, use your word today to shape us into the people that you want us to be. Father, fill me with your Holy Spirit that I could speak your words and your ways for your glory. Help me, Father, not to say or do anything that would be a hindrance to what you want to accomplish in our lives. Father, we need to know that you're here. We need to know that you're at work in our midst. We need to know that you are our shepherd and we are your people. Speak to us today and give us ears to hear and hearts to obey. We ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. You may be seated. Today we're going to start a five-week study on this most precious psalm. We're going to start by examining the last part of verse 1, I shall not want. The idea is if we are following Jesus, who the New Testament reveals as the Good Shepherd, we will have everything that we need. It speaks to, to not being in want or to be satisfied. And initially, as I was studying this, I thought about this in regards to physical provision. And certainly, certainly there is a part of what is meant here that God will provide for us such things as we need. But the more I studied and the more I thought about this, the less I thought that was the main thrust of what's being discussed here. And here's why. As Americans, we live in and we have an abundance of pretty much everything. And yet, we are a very dissatisfied people. If stuff met that deep longing in our heart would make us to the point where we did not want, then Americans would be the most satisfied people on the planet. And yet we aren't. We have an abundance of pretty much everything there is to have an abundance of. And we want more. We feel like we're being cheated. We feel like we don't have enough. That longing is never, never done away with. But compare how we often feel with how the Apostle Paul felt. Paul said, not that I speak in regard to need. For I have learned in whatever state I am to be content or satisfied. I know how to be abased. And I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full, to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. Now, the Apostle Paul had learned contentment or learned satisfaction regardless 
of the circumstances of his life. Paul had complete satisfaction whether he did not have enough or whether he had more than enough. Whether everyone liked him or whether everyone hated him. No matter what the circumstances Paul found himself to be in, he was content. He found satisfaction. Now, that's not just Paul. I mean, at least it's not supposed to be just Paul. What was true of Paul then is meant to be true of us today. There is something that we can have that will give us a sense of satisfaction, whether we abound or whether we're abased, whether we have much or whether we have little. And whatever that is, we we definitely, we desperately need it. And I think the reason that we don't often have it is because we are looking in all of the wrong places. When we look to this world, it may provide us with a measure of satisfaction. It may fulfill the longing of our soul for a period of time, but everything in this world is temporary by nature. And so it never can finally and fully satisfy that. Now, I believe every generation, every group of people that have ever lived have had to deal with this and try to find the source of satisfaction. But the Bible records one king's search for it. And we're going to look at some of the things that this king thousands of years ago looked for to try to find this satisfaction in his soul and how he found about those things. Right. So he he sought in the pursuit of pleasure. Now, how many of us know that our world is filled with people who try to find fulfillment, that try to find satisfaction through the pursuit of pleasure? So many people in our world live basically hedonistic lives. If it feels good, they do it. Whatever they want to do, they, they're going to do. And King Solomon, he did this as well. Paul, Solomon said, and he said, in my heart, come now, I will test you with mirth. Therefore, enjoy pleasure. He was just going to to give himself to seeking pleasure. He went on to say about this, that he gathered for himself silver and gold, the special treasures of the kings and the provinces. He acquired male and female singers, the delights of the sons of men and musical instruments of all kinds. So I became great and excelled more than all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also, my wisdom remained with me. Whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep it. From me. Now, just think about that. Whatever his eyes desired, he didn't withhold it. He did not withhold from his heart any pleasure. Now, he was a wealthy king. We'll see that in a second. So when Solomon says he didn't withhold himself from anything, that's a huge. He, he went to everything we could possibly imagine that wealth and position and power afforded him. Wine, women, and song, as we might say. If there was a place to find pleasure, Solomon went there. If there was something he could buy, he bought it. If there was something to do, he did it. But what was the result of that? Well, he said, said in my heart, come now, I will test you with mirth. Therefore, enjoy pleasure. But, surely, this also was vanity. Now, vanity is a key theme in Ecclesiastes, and it basically means worthless. 
Solomon sought to, to find fulfillment and satisfaction through pleasure, he said in the end, it was worthless. He, he said in a different place. Then I looked on the works of my hands and that my, all the works my hands had done and the labor on which I had toiled. And indeed, it was vanity and the grasping for the wind. There was, there was no profit under the sun. Solomon gave his life and he gave his all and he gave what he had to, to find fulfillment, to find satisfaction and pleasure. And in the end, it was just a complete waste of time. Something else he sought for was excellence in education. But again, this is something people seek in our day, that if they can just get enough knowledge, they can just go to school enough, get the right education, then it will satisfy that deep longing in their soul. And Solomon sought out for that too. He said, I, the preacher, was king over Israel and Jerusalem. I set my heart to seek and to search out wisdom concerning all that is done under heaven. Right? He, he committed himself... Again, to education. He committed himself to education as fully as he committed himself to pleasure. And so he gave his vast resources and his time in an effort to, to gain all that he had. And he said, I consumed, I communed with my heart saying, look, I have attained greatness and have gained more wisdom than all who were before me in Jerusalem. My heart has understood great wisdom and knowledge. And I set my heart to know wisdom and madness and folly. And I perceive that this also is grasping for the wind. His conclusion was that wisdom and education did not fully or finally satisfy that deep longing in his soul. Now, of course, this isn't to say that education is not good. It is a great thing. But the point is, no matter how much education we get, it will not fully or finally satisfy the longing in our soul. So he set out for something else, wealth and work. We also see this a great deal in our day. People who seek to satisfy the longing in their heart through wealth and work. They hope that with their jobs they will be satisfied. They hope that with their jobs they will find the ultimate fulfillment that they need. Some do this through becoming workaholics, hoping that the job and the positions that they acquire will fulfill and will satisfy that longing in their heart. We also see it in the, in the corporate greed that, that says, you know what, if I just make a few billion more dollars than I have now, I will be finally and fully satisfied in the longings of my heart. And Solomon set out to this as well. He said, I made my works great. I built myself houses and I planted myself vineyards. I made myself gardens and orchids, orchards. And I planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. And I made myself water pools from which to water the growing trees of the grove. He built, he worked, he hoarded. Scripture teaches he was the, the wealthiest king in the world at that time. And all of his success and all of his money and all of his stuff, what did he find? Therefore, I turned my heart and I despaired of all the labor with which I had toiled under the sun. After all of his building and all of his hoarding and all of his seeking to acquire greatness through those things, he nearly despaired because he felt it was a complete waste of time. In fact, he would go on to say, He who loves silver will not be satisfied with silver, nor he who loves abundance with the increase. This also is vanity. When goods increase, they increase who eat them. So what profit have the owners except to see them with their eyes? Right? The more money we have, the more we're going to want to buy. The more money we lose, the more money we're going to need to gain. It becomes a, a never-ending cycle. 
He sought through political power. Politics. It's pretty big business. People seek to find their satisfaction and their fulfillment in politics. Some do this by actually going into politics themselves. That if they get this right position, then they can fulfill that longing in their heart. Others just they kind of do it vicariously. As long as their party or their politician is in power, then they maybe that will bring satisfaction and fulfillment. Solomon understood this as well. He said it's better to be a poor but wise youth than an old and a foolish king who refuses all advice. Such a youth could come from prison and succeed. He might even become king. Though he was born in poverty, everyone is eager to help such a youth, even to help him take the throne. This kind of pictures like a Disney story, right? Someone who was raised in poverty and rises up by their bootstraps to become president of the United States. Now, that's a story we all like to hear, and that's something we'd all get behind. But you think, surely someone rose to power in that way. That would bring fulfillment to make that great of a change in their life. Well, maybe Except Solomon says this, there was no end to all the people over whom he was made king, yet those who came after him will not rejoice in him. Surely this also is vanity and grasping for the wind. The idea is, poles change. People who love you today aren't going to love you tomorrow. Human beings are fickle. We look at our current political climate. Eight years ago, the Democrats were thinking, woo! We have the House, we have the Senate, we have the presidency. We're going to make the world a better place. And they were dancing in the streets. And Republicans were weeping and gnashing at their teeth. And then Democrats didn't find what they longed for. Now, jump forward eight years and Republicans are jumping and dancing in the street. We have the House, the presidency, the, the Senate. And the Democrats are laying on the floor and gnashing in the streets. Right? Because why? Because people change. In eight years, it may well flip back to a whole different direction. Right? Satisfaction through politics is always shifting. It's never lasting. Because, at least in America, every four years we have elections. And it's, every, it's very possible that every four years we could change who's in power, what party leads. So if we're finding our, seeking to find our satisfaction through political parties, man, there's always... A matter of turmoil. There's always a, a lack of certainty because the, the winds of popularity shift back and forth all over the place. So Solomon went through all of those things to try to find satisfaction, to try to satisfy the longing in his soul, and he never did. And then at the end of his life, he, he figured out where it was all at, and it was what he had always known to begin with. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God. Keep his commandments, for this is man's all. Everything Solomon was looking for, everything he had sought for all of those years, it was found in his connection and in his relationship to God. Unless we think this is just Solomon, we need to once again consider the experience of the Apostle Paul. Paul says, but what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things loss for the excellence, the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him. 
Now, there's a bit of wordplay in that passage that's important to see. First, he says he, he counted things for loss that he once thought were so important. And this refers to a particular specific point in the past where Paul looked at all of the things he had in his life. All of these things that he thought were important. All of these things that he thought should satisfy the longing in his life. And in this one particular moment in his life, he realized not only did they not satisfy that longing, but they were actually worthless. But not only is that something he had done in the past, he goes on and said, yet indeed I also count. And that's a a present continuing action. Paul not only counted stuff as worthless in the past, but, but now, as he had continued on, he still counted those things as worthless. Right? And when he says all things, all things in Paul's life, it pretty much actually refers to all things. Right? Paul had suffered the loss of, of his religious credentials. At one time, Paul was well respected in the religious community, but, but he was not by the time he wrote Philippians. At one time, Paul was wealthy, but by the time he wrote Philippians, he wasn't. At one time, Paul actually had political clout. He was influential within the religious leaders of Israel, but by this time, he was not. At one time, Paul was a part of the social elite of Israel. But by this time, he was not. Paul had actually lost all things. And the picture isn't that these things were taken from Paul. It wasn't that Paul fought to hold on to them and and to keep them in his life, but they were yanked out of his grasp. Instead, the Apostle Paul, he made a continuous decision to let all of those things go. To, to count them as worthless because his values had been so drastically changed. The stuff that he once thought would give him the fulfillment that he, he longed for, he realized it would not. He had found something infinitely better. Paul didn't regret this decision. He wasn't looking back and longing for the good old days when he was a Pharisee. He wasn't longing for the good old days when he had lots of money. He wasn't longing for the good old days when people loved him and looked up to him. Paul says so much that it was so worthless that he uses the word in the New King James that says rubbish. And the word that's used there in the Greek, it actually refers to human waste. That's a pretty strong word. The stuff Paul had given up was so worthless, he compared it to human waste. It was useless. It was no good. Of course, what he had found was Jesus. He counted all things lost for the excellence, the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as as dung in the King James, that I may gain Christ and be found in Him. See, the picture that Paul's painting isn't that of knowing about Jesus. Knowing about Jesus won't satisfy the longing in our soul. Paul knew Jesus. 
He, he knew him by faith. Paul knew the greatness of a relationship with Jesus. And that relationship with Jesus was actually better than anything else that the world had to offer. That's part of the idea of excellence. The knowledge of Jesus, that was excellent. Anything that kept him from that, that was rubbish. And because he had Jesus, Paul could be satisfied, he could be content in whatever state he found himself in. Jesus met and satisfied the longing in Paul's heart in ways that nothing else in the world did. And that's not just Paul, that's just Jesus. That is who Jesus is. And what he does. Here's what Jesus said. I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger. He who believes in me shall never thirst. The picture there isn't so much physical bread and physical water. It is a spiritual provision. That he will satisfy the the deepest longings of our heart. That desire that we have, that longing that says there is more, it'll not be found in anything that this world offers. It's not the world isn't meant to satisfy that longing. Only Jesus can quench that desire that we have. Everything else, it will eventually leave us unsatisfied. It will eventually leave us unfulfilled and it will eventually leave us looking for the next big thing. And I think probably we know that by experience, don't we? I mean, how many times have we thought that this this stuff, this job, this car, this money, this girlfriend, this boyfriend, this this party, this event, that this, this will do it. And then after a while, it, it doesn't do it. Haven't we all had that experience of the world letting us down, of of people letting us down, of stuff not being enough? The problem is we're always looking in the wrong place. And if we are tired of looking for the next big thing, then we need to look to Jesus. To seek in Him what He wants to provide for us. When the Lord is our shepherd, we shall not want. Not so much because He gives us all the stuff that this world offers. But because Jesus is what we ultimately need. And with Jesus, we find final and full fulfillment of that longing in our heart. So the central truth today is that Jesus alone satisfies the deepest longings of my soul. Jesus alone satisfies the deepest longings of my soul. Jesus does this when we, when we know Him. 
Jesus does this when he is our shepherd. Let me close with a story. A famous actor was once asked, was once the guest of honor at a social gathering and received many requests to recite favorite excerpts from various literary works. An old preacher who happened to be there asked the actor to recite the 23rd Psalm. The actor agreed on the condition that the preacher would also recite it. The actor's rendition was beautifully intoned, great dramatic emphasis for which he received a lengthy and enthusiastic applause. The preacher's voice was rough and broken for many years of preaching, and his diction was anything but polished. However, his voice was full of emotion as he recited his favorite passage. And when he finished, there was not a dry eye in the room. When someone asked the actor what made the difference, he replied, I know the psalm, but he knows the shepherd. Do you know the shepherd this morning? Let's all stand as our music.